pray now, Lord, that as we go through the remainder of this service, that you would open up your word to us and challenge our hearts, and that when we leave here today, Father, we leave here different than we were when we came in. So, Father, we give you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you guys be seated? Um, as you know, next uh, Sunday is Easter, and we want to encourage you to bring some folks with you. We're going to have breakfast out there in the foyer. It's going to be an Easter egg hunt for the for the children that morning, and um, we want would like for you to invite people. So what we're going to do is show you a brief little video just to remind you of that and encourage you to please invite your friends. Why don't we go ahead and start that? church will be full this weekend. Your church could be full this weekend with people just like me. Different face, different skin color, different age, sex, or social status. But make no mistake, I could be sitting right next to you. I just need you to invite me in, that's all. Nothing more, nothing less. And nothing complicated. I heard a message by Bill Hybels one time. 
he was talking about a neighbor of his that he was coming up on Easter like the next week, and he didn't know the neighbor. He just moved in, and the neighbor, when he was invited, Bill invited him to come to church. He said, no, he said, I don't usually go to church, and gave excuses. And off the, just thought of the blue, he decided to say, well, listen, he said, you know, it's un-American not to go to church on Easter. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, everybody goes to church on Easter. He said, everybody. So if you don't go, it's un-American of you. If somebody tells you they can't come, just tell them. Say, don't be un-American. Be patriotic. Go to church on Easter. But uh, just invite your friends if you would. Now, today what I want to do is talk to you about Samson. And we're going to look at his life. And I'm going to cover and condense in a very quick fashion about three chapters we're going to be jumping through here. So just relax and sit back. I want you to look at his life because every time I look at the life of Samson, I feel sick at my stomach because I look at a, an opportunity that was lost. Here's a guy who had God-given power to defeat anybody, any army, anywhere, and he blew it. And the title of the sermon, I think, sums it up. He snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Have you ever, I'm, years ago when I was uh, younger, uh, we used to watch a wide world of sports. Do you ever remember watching that? And this is one of the things they would say. Uh, sometimes, you know, athletes snatch a victory out of the jaws of defeat. And then somebody turned it around years later because somebody was supposed to have won a game and they were being sarcastic and they said, yeah, they snatched defeat right out of the jaws of victory. And so what they're basically saying is that whenever someone was meant to win, everything was there, they had it won, and somehow in the end they managed to lose it. That's what that is referring to. Well, this is true of Samson. He had everything going for him, and in the end he blew it. So the reason that I want to, to share this with you today is because it is so true of us. We do the same thing. You know, we've been put in a privileged position in Christ. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have been given special gifts and a special calling, and still we fail to reach our full potential. We fail to do and to be what God wants us to, to do and to be. And we had everything going for us because God has put us in that position where that is the case. And some of the same reasons that we fail are the same reasons why Samson failed. And I want to look at this today because I think you're going to see a little bit of yourself in Samson. I want to share with you six mistakes that Samson made. Six mistakes that caused him to be ineffective, if you will, to some degree. Six mistakes that hindered him. And I want you to note something as we go through these, and that is this, that each one of these mistakes that he made was a choice. It was a choice. He had the, the power, he, had the, he was in a position to choose not to be that person, but yet he didn't. He chose to follow through and to become this person and to do these things. Now that's important. Because as we go through these, I want you to keep in mind as we go through every one of them, because as you see some of these in your own life, I want you to understand that you can change this. That's the important thing. You can change this. And really, you, you need to. We, we both do. We need to change. We need to become different people. Because the things that I'm going to share with you today, they're, they may or may not seem to be that serious to you, but they can hinder your ministry 
And when I'm talking about ministry, we've talked about this before, I'm talking about your call, what God has called you to do. That could be any number of things. You may have been called into full-time ministry like myself or somebody else, or you may have been called into teaching a class in church. You may have been called by God to be the person that witnesses to the people you work with and the people that you live with in your community. I don't know what God's call is on your life. But you are going to discover that in your life. And you need to understand that just because you know that, and just because you're involved in answering that call and being the person and serving the way God has called you to, there are things that are going to trip you up. There are things that are going to cause you to become ineffective and are going to hinder you. And some of the things that we talk about here today are going to do that. So pay attention because these are things that you can change if they are in your life. And when you get into your groups tonight, you're going to discuss these. And you're going to see... As you look at your own life, um, yeah, I see that in me. And if you do, share it with the group and help each other to overcome these things. Don't just say, yeah, that's me and keep going, but make those changes. Here are the six mistakes Samson made. Let's jump in here right quick. Number one, he did not listen to godly advice. Samson didn't listen to godly advice. Now, last week we talked about the story where he goes and he sees and he's down in the Philistine city and he sees a woman and he falls in love with her and he decides this is the woman for him goes back and tells his mother and father I want to marry this Philistine woman which was against the law of God they should not have done it but he did it anyway and um, in this particular verse listen to what his mother and father say to him in Judges 14:3, it says his father and mother replied isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now you've got to kind of look at that and think, how could he be so rude to his father? But it's typical of Samson. It seemed to be a little disrespect, a little bit of selfishness, a great deal of pride. And he said, look, just get her for me. She's the one I want. She's the right one for me. And he didn't listen to the godly advice of his parents. Now, Guys, there is a lot of that going on with us as Christians. There are people in your life that God brings into your life to help you. There are things that you can't see about yourself. There are things that you are doing that are are going to hurt you. and, And people care about you and they come to you with godly advice and wisdom. And they come to you to share that with you. And sometimes we bite their heads off and we don't accept it. We don't like it. We don't want it. And sometimes it's unsolicited, and that's hard to accept, I know. Sometimes we do ask, and then when they tell us something we don't like, we get mad at them. But uh, sometimes we just can't see those foolish decisions. I want to share with you right here some things that I want you to do whenever somebody shares with you godly wisdom or advice. Now, these are four things that that are going to serve you well if you can apply them to your life. When somebody shares with you some godly advice, the first thing is this. Listen to what they have to say. Listen to it. You may not agree with it. That's that's okay. But at least listen because so many times when people try to give us advice, we really get bent out of shape. We don't like it. We don't like people sticking their noses into our business. And sometimes we're rude and disrespectful. And that leads me into the second thing, and that is to be gracious. 
do yourself a favor and listen, but at the same time respond to them with grace. Because you gotta, you got to believe that was difficult for them to do. It was difficult for them to say that to you because they did it because they love you. But nonetheless, it was, it was hard. So be gracious. The third thing is this, pray about it. You need to really take this to the Lord and say, okay, is there any merit to what they're saying? Is this really true? And then God will lay it on you. You know, God wants you to change too. And so if there's something there that needs to change, I believe that the Spirit of God will make that evident to you. But you've got to be taking it to the Lord. And then the fourth thing you need to do is make a move. You need to move ahead, do something. And so whenever someone shares with you advice, whether it is solicited or not, you need to go through these four things, these four steps. And in the end, you make up your mind. Is it something that needs to be taken care of or not? And that's something you're going to have to decide. But learn to listen to godly wisdom. Here's the second thing you need to do, and that is this, or the second mistake he made, and that was that he was a loner. He was a loner, somebody that was alone. Um, as you look through the life of uh, Samson, you understand and discover that it doesn't seem like he had any friends at all. Um, here's an example. Uh, you never hear any mention of him being with somebody or somebody helping him or, with, or him traveling with somebody. And here's the example. The wedding feast that he went to, this woman, this Philistine woman that he wanted, he goes down and they negotiate the uh, dowry or whatever it is or they, that they, they go through there. And then they come back later on after, after a period of betrothal and they then go through the wedding feast, a seven-day celebration, and then they consummate the marriage that night and they are married. So now here's what happens when he goes down for the wedding feast. It says in Judges chapter 14, verses 10 and 11, listen to what it says. Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. Well, what does that mean? It means that Samson didn't have any groomsmen. He didn't have anybody to stand with him. Now that's kind of sad. He's marrying a Philistine woman, somebody that is totally out of, out of his culture. And he can't even find people that will go with him to be his groomsmen. So instead he has to be, have those provided for him. Ministry was never meant for you to do it alone. It never was. And I think sometimes we get the idea that if God called me, then I've got to step up and I've got to do this, and the whole burden of the success or failure of that ministry lies on me. If I'm going to be successful, then it lies on me. But what you don't understand is that when God called you, God called you to be part of a team. That's what the church is all about. See, the church is about teamwork. You look in the New Testament and what you find are all the apostles traveled with companions. They all had somebody. Paul had people with him. Even when he was in prison, he had people on the outside that were ministering to him. Always. And 
you think about all the, all the people in the New Testament, the, the apostles and all the, those that helped them, what would they have done without them? Now, God has established the church, the local church. And God says to you and me that I've gifted you and I've put you in a position in a body of believers and I want you to, to minister for me there and I want you to do what I've called you to do. But I don't, I don't expect you to do it by yourself because you're going to need somebody. You're going to need somebody to help you no matter what it is. You're going to need somebody to pray for you and with you no matter what it is. And you are always going to need somebody that will encourage you and pick you up when you get beat down and fail. Somebody that will always be there to support you. And I think one of the things that has turned so many Christians off to ministry and service is that they are put out in a position of service in some capacity and they feel all alone. And they feel like everybody's judging them to see how they're going to do. And what you need to understand is that there should be people in that church that are part of that ministry to help you. They're there with you. Because it is so important that we understand that. Next Sunday's Easter. You know, there will be some of the people here in this church that invite their friends. And that's a hard thing to do. And there may be people that need to know the Lord, and, they, and they've gone out on a limb, and they're going to invite them to church. And I've, I've seen it so many times. People will be standing out there at the door waiting on a friend that they've invited. Now, they've got all kind of fears in doing that because they don't know if you in this church are going to, reach out to their friends. They don't know if you're going to talk to their friends. They don't know if you're going to judge their friends. And see, we need to, to understand that if we begin to see the church as a team and that we're working together to further the kingdom of God, that I will always be there to support you and your ministry and your efforts. That I will always be there to, to greet your friends and to make them feel welcome because I care about you. You see, and I want you to succeed. And it excites me that you, took the, you had the courage to invite them. And so I want to help you with that. Well, see, that should be the mindset of all of us, every person. When you step out to do ministry and you are scared to death to do it, you have never done it before, you know what you don't need from the people in your church? You don't need people criticizing you. You don't need people stepping on you and trying to make you feel bad because at least you had the courage to try it. And you may not have done a good job, but you know what? You're going to get better if you just come back and do it again. But see, so many times we shoot people like that, don't we? You tried something, you had the courage, the gall to stand up and try something, and you didn't do very well, boom. Don't ever do that again. And that's how we make people feel. And you need to understand that God never meant to be meant for ministry to be done alone. Now, I know that we have to struggle with our own personalities because there are many of us that are, by nature, loners. I'm a loner. You think, wait a minute, you know, you're always around people, always talking, always doing this. That's not my nature. You know, if I grew up in, in high school and didn't want... To get up in front of anybody, didn't public speaking horrified me. The last thing I wanted to do, I couldn't even talk to girls. Deborah had to chase me down. You know? I loved her and wanted to date her, but Lord of mercy, I was scared to death to ask her because that's just how, you, how it is. Even to this day, I'm perfectly fine just being alone. In a, you know, a few weeks we're going to travel to North Carolina. She's flying, I'm driving. 
People back home said, why do y'all do this? <laughs> because I need two days of peace. <laughs> so I can drive it in two days and it is just very relaxing. And, but I, see, that's me. Okay, so now here, here, think about this. A young guy uh, in his early 20s, mid-20s gets called by God to be a pastor. Are you kidding me? You chose me? And so I had to overcome that. I had to learn that, you know what, it's okay to be a loner by nature, but you need to make some changes if you're going to do the ministry God's called you to do. Now, I'm not saying that you have to stop being who you are, but you do need to change some of the things that you do in life that are pushing other people away from you because God never meant for you to do it alone. And especially when it comes to the things of God, you have to include other people. So just remember that. Here's the third mistake that Samson made, and that is that he allowed lust to control him. He allowed lust to control him. Three different instances are recorded in Scripture pertaining to Samson and his problem with women. The first one, we've talked about his wife. He never fully consummated the marriage, and legally they weren't really married. And you'll see what happened with that in a moment. But he should never have been down there looking. He should never have been in a pagan city looking for a wife. And, and ultimately, you saw what happened. But he saw her, he wanted her, and nothing was going to stop him because he struggled with lust. Let me read you the second instance that is talked about here in the Scripture in Judges 16, verse 1. It says, one day Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. This is the man of God doing this? Are you kidding? Yeah, because you see, his lust was out of control. The third one, and this is ultimately the one that took him down, was with Delilah. In Judges 16.4, it says, sometime later... He fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And I think if you know the story of Samson, you know what happened there. How many lives have been ruined because we couldn't control our passions? Ministries have fallen apart because we couldn't control our passion. Now guys, let me tell you something. You're not a freak of nature, and this is guys and gals too, because you have passion. That's the way God made you. There's nothing wrong with that. So please don't misunderstand. I think sometimes we who struggle with lust and we don't tell anybody and nobody knows about it, you think to yourself you're the only one and you're not. Everybody, to some degree, varying degrees, has to deal with this because it's human nature. But you have to deal with it. And you have to control it. Now here's the problem. And that is that so many times we think that we can just command it to stop and it'll stop. Has that ever worked for any of you? Has your passion ever been subject to a command? I can stand up here all day and say, don't feel that way. But you know what? It's human nature to feel that way. But there are ways to control that. Now listen very carefully, okay? This is just thrown in for free. It doesn't cost you a thing, okay? Feelings are not subject to a law. You cannot control feelings by making a law and saying, don't feel that way. It won't work. 
What is subject to law are actions. This is important because feelings always follow actions. You want to change the way you feel about something? Then start acting the way God said to. Because all through the Scriptures, we are commanded and told and instructed on how to live life and how to behave. So if I pattern my life according to those instructions, then with the passing of time, what happens is that my feelings and emotions begin to change. This is the whole basis for Christian counseling. Because if you want to change feelings, if you want to lift somebody out of depression when nothing else seems to work, you've got to get their behavior to change. And if they will begin to change the behavior, then what happens is there's a whole lot of things that happen internally, but spiritually God begins to move. And God's spirit changes passion and controls it. So it all boils down to this. I understand how I feel. I understand what I'm feeling and the passion that is there. I understand that just because I feel it, I don't have to act on it. And I make a choice with my mind to act according to the will of God. And I trust that God then changes my feelings. And he does. And you begin to establish all new habits and patterns and all of this stuff we don't have time to go into, but that's how it is done. If you choose to act godly, then pretty soon you begin to feel godly. You've heard the term uh, fake it till you make it type thing. People say, well, I'm being a hypocrite. I'm acting in a way that I don't feel. It doesn't matter. God never said anything about being a hypocrite. He said, do this. He never asked if you felt like it, wanted to, or thought you should. He said, never said that. He said, do it. And so I act out of my knowledge of what I know about the Lord. A head knowledge, if that's all that is there. An understanding, a belief. And I obey. And God changes my heart. If he didn't, and listen to this, if that was not true, then you would have to take Galatians 5.22 and rip it out of the Bible. Because there he says, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit generates within you. Love, joy, peace, patience, all these. These are things that are feelings. And God says, I generate that within you. You just act and I'll take care of your feelings. So anyway, he allowed the lust to control him. Nobody in here has to do that. You cannot ever say the devil made me do it and I, had, I could not control myself. Yes, you can. Don't lie. Don't tell that lie. That you're believing something that is ungodly and unbiblical. Lust can be controlled, so do it. Here's the fourth mistake that Samson made. And that is this, that he didn't take his ministry seriously. He didn't take it seriously. He, was, he, he played around with it. Um... You know, as you, as you study the life of Samson, you kind of get the idea that he never really cared about delivering Israel from the bondage of the Philistines. And that, that was his call. That's what God sent him to do. Go deliver the people from the Philistines. Do you know the times that he engaged the Philistines? Do you know the reasons why? Every single time. Revenge. They did something to him, and he got back at them. 
Never do you see Samson leading an army out against the enemy in order to destroy them the way God says to do it. God, he never did that. And it seemed like at every turn he was joking around, playing around, and not taking it seriously. Even when he was there at his wedding, his 30 attendants, he got, he got into talking to them, and you know the story about him killing the lion. We talked about that last week. He comes back on his way down this time, and he notices the lion carcass. The bees had formed a nest in there, and there's honey there. He tasted some of the honey. When he gets down to here, he has this idea. Let's, let me give you a riddle, see if you can get it. And if you get it, I will give each one of you 30 men a new suit of clothes. Now, that's expensive. In that day and age, textiles were like gold. But if you don't get it, each one of you provides me with a new set of clothes. That would be 30 new sets of clothes for Samson. The riddle is found in Judges chapter 14, verse 4, and here's what it is. In Judges 14, 14, excuse me, 14, 14, he said, he replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. And it says for, for three days they could not give the answer. They finally go to his wife and threaten her. They say, if you don't provide us the answer, we will kill you and your family. I mean, this is how serious they were. She finally squeezes it out of him at the last day, the seventh day. And then they say, okay, here's the answer. Nothing as sweet as honey and nothing as strong as a lion. He was furious. And he, he had to provide them with the clothes. Another situation where he's not taking his ministry seriously was with Delilah. And this is really the one that got him. She kept wanting to know because, again, the Philistines have come and they've offered to pay her. We'll pay you. Find out the secret of his strength. We've got to know. So you look through the scriptures and time after time she keeps asking him. She keeps asking him. And he's joking around with her. Oh, I'll tell you, and he gives her this response. He'll say, if you tie my hands with seven fresh bowstrings, then I'll be weak as anybody else. I can't break them. So, Judges 16, verses 8 and 9, here's what happened. It says, then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she, she tied him with them. Now, how did this go about was he asleep then? I'm thinking he was. It says in verse 9, when with men hidden in the room, this is their bedroom, with men hidden in the bedroom, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings and easily as a piece of string snaps when he comes close to a flame. And so the secret of his strength was not discovered. She does the same thing again with new ropes. He says, okay, okay, here's the secret. He's just joking around. I can imagine when he did that, he just laughs out loud because she didn't figure it out. Same thing with the new ropes. Same thing with, he gives a third one. If you, if you braid my hair and weave it in a loom, it'll make me weak. And finally, it goes on and on and on until finally he's tired of hearing her. So he finally told her. And down in chapter 16, verse 17 of Judges. It says, so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite 
dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. So what does she do? The same thing. Turns him in. These are the women he kept falling for. And they burn out his eyes, put him in bondage, and make a spectacle of him. You don't play around with the things of God. You take them seriously. What God has done when he called you and, and, and told you that this is what I want you to do. These are the people that I want you to minister to and these are the people that I want you to reach and this is the class that I want you to teach and this is how I want you to do. Whatever God has called you to do, don't, don't just ignore that. We don't take the things of God seriously. You don't play around with what God has called you to do, but you do it. You be that person. You live that life. The fifth thing, the mistake that he made is this, that he struggled with anger. I've alluded to that already, but the guys uh, figure out his riddle. He kills 30 men, takes their clothing and gives to them. He comes back to claim his wife after being, he left after that and comes back later to claim her weeks later. And her dad, in shame, didn't think he was coming back, so her dad had already given her to another man in marriage. He's infuriated. He goes out and collects or traps 300 foxes, ties their tails together, puts a torch in there, and sends them out through the grain fields of the Philistines. Hundreds and hundreds of acres, maybe more, burn out of rage. Samson, go fight the Philistines because this is the call of God on your life. That didn't matter. But you let somebody do something to make him mad, then it was Katie bar the door because he had a problem with anger. Here's the problem when we get angry. We lose control and we can't think logically nor can we think biblically. How many things have we done in our lives in anger that blew up in our faces because it was a stupid thing to do? We said something or did something or behaved a certain way. How many of us have ruined our testimony in the past because of anger? At times we do that. We make foolish choices. And that anger just seems to destroy us. In anger, we abuse our children. In anger, we abuse our spouse. In anger, we do things that we normally wouldn't do. And some of you probably... Your personality is such that you are struggling with anger. And you need to understand that just like any other thing, this is a choice. You can discuss this. I've got some questions for you to discuss this tonight in your groups. But that doesn't have to be the case. Here's the sixth and final thing, very quickly. He made the mistake in, in this, that he was a man of faith, but he was not a faithful man. He was a man of faith because in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told that. But he was not a faithful man. Samson was not the kind of guy you could depend on. He was not the kind of guy that would be consistent. He was not the kind of guy that would follow through. And that was true of Samson. Samson's life ended in shame. 
He was a slave in the Philistine city. He was brought in his one final act of glory, put into the temple for them to mock. And he prays to God that God would allow him to do one final act. He's put between two giant pillars that hold up the entire complex. And here we are in Judges 16.30, and here's what it says. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all of his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he was alive. What a sad ending for this man. Faithful? No. God wants you and me to be faithful. Listen to this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says this. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. You and I have been given a trust. The God of the universe entrusted you with something. A job, a responsibility, a calling. And God says, here's what you're to be. Faithful. Just do it. Be consistent. Obey me. Man, one day, one day we'll stand before him and hopefully he'll be able to say of each one of us, well done. My good and faithful servant. Well done. Six mistakes that destroyed his ministry. He didn't listen to godly advice. He didn't work with other people. He was a loner. He allowed himself to be controlled by his lust. He did not take his ministry and his calling seriously. He struggled with anger, couldn't get it under control, and he was not a faithful man. Guys, don't make those same mistakes because every one of them can be changed. Every one of them is a choice. You choose to keep going down that road or you stop. You can stop this. And with the help of somebody, maybe somebody in the church or a trusted friend, you can say, okay, this is me. Yeah, one of these, maybe more. That's me. And it hurts my marriage. It hurts relationships. It hurts my ministry. Then make the changes. If you're here this morning, you've never put your faith in Christ. Let me close with this one last verse. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, here's what it says. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no man can boast. Look at the verse. God's grace has saved you. It means that God gave you something you did not deserve. That's what grace is, a gift. It says that you were saved through faith. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God says you are mine, you are forgiven, you are saved. And it is a gift. If you think that you have to earn it by being good or going to church or promising God to change whatever, no. You're reaching out by faith and accepting the gift that God has given and provided for you. And it says that it is not by works. Nothing that you can do can earn it. Your righteousness, your holiness, your whatever you, you claim, nothing. You earn it by faith. It's that simple. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment.
you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, never understood it, then just turn to God in faith right now and say, Lord, I, I understand that I'm a sinner. I believe that. But I also believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And I am trusting him to save me. I believe it. I receive it. I accept it. The Bible says that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that includes you as you call on him right now today. You, along with everyone else in here today, has been called by God to minister. You've been given an area of responsibility in your life that God will reveal to you. But the challenge to every one of us is to step into that role and be the person that God has called us to be. And don't make the same mistakes that Samson made. Be different. The choice is yours. You can do this because God said you can do it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the example of men and women in Scripture, both positive and negative. But Father, it challenges us to live up to what you've called us to be. And Father, I pray that each one of us would learn from these mistakes, make the godly choice, and that you might grow us into the person that you want us to be. Father, may we be that person. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.